Hi, everyone. This is Greg Austin, founder of Inclusive Fitness, and I am here with Eric Chesson, our director of Adaptive Programming and Innovation, and also the founder of Autism Fitness, to talk a little bit about the question of, is it worth it? And we'll get into that in a little bit, but Eric, can you say hi? I can say hi. Hey, Greg. Hey, everybody. <laughs> uh, as always, Eric, it's it's wonderful to chat with you. Uh, I always love our conversations. Um so we were talking just a couple of minutes ago about this this fundamental question of, is this worth it? And and what we mean by that is is the the effort it takes to um, either ourselves or our, our children or those in our care is it worth going to the trouble to uh, go to uh, a place like uh, inclusive fitness or work with somebody like Eric at an autism fitness and and uh, consistently exercise um and and uh you know go to the trouble to you know get in the car uh you know schedule it pay for it get, get in the car uh get out of the car and into the foyer and into this the, the gym and start working out because there's a lot of issues connected to that and and so eric and i were talking about that and, and wanted to to um sort of say well the answer is yes but it's not that simple there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And so we want to spend about 15 or 20 minutes talking about that today. Um, so Eric, before we jump in, and of course, I have some research I'd like to refer to here in a minute, but do you want yeah. to add to that? Well, I, I think ultimately, you know, it comes back to going from general to specific. General, if, if you ask anybody, oh, do you think, you know, exercise is important for any population, you know, particularly the, the neuroadaptive population? I don't think there are too many people who would say no. <laughs> right. Um, but as always, what we do is we want to define it and, and show real, measurable, valid um, data uh, on, on that and, and provide reasoning around why something like this would be the you know the best use or one of the best uses of of somebody's time um pr particularly uh for you know teens and, and adults and and some of the things that we know to be true as individuals age right i think that's a really good way of framing it you know that sort of that general high level and, and i think you're right i think you know you're not going to hear somebody say, oh, no, exercise isn't worth it. It's not good for you. Um, the question I'd is... Hear that. Oh, I'd, I would love to have that. Find me that person. I, I would love to have it. It hasn't happened yet. But yeah. at, at the same time, to that, and, and I know you'll get into some of the research in a minute about it, but you're, you're not going to find too many people who, who are going to say, well, no, exercise is, is bad um, and, and it's not a good idea for for the neuroadaptive population. So if we know that to be the case for the for the the vast majority of people, then where is this great, you know, divide or 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 the great missing in actually having that as as a service or or providing that or seeking that out uh, for its population. Right, exactly. And and so with that in mind, I want to I want to turn everyone's attention to this really interesting uh, research report that came out in 2019. Um, two researchers uh, by the name of Belgrave and Colombo de Govido uh, did a did a study, and it's entitled "Experiences Participating in Community Physical Activity by Families with a Child on the Autism Spectrum," and uh, basically they they wanted to understand something that had not been researched before, which was from a parental or caregiver perspective, what are some of the challenges, the key themes that uh, make it difficult 
for uh, them and their families and, and their children on the spectrum to actually uh, participate in physical activity. And, and so, uh, I'll, I'll, by the way, we'll provide links to the research they're referring to here today uh, in, in the description. But um, there were four things that, that came up in uh, sort of big themes that arrived, or, I'm sorry, arose in, in, in their study that the, the parents uh, said were the, the key issues. Uh, participating in physical activity. They were one, safety outside of the home. They were two, lack of acceptance. Three, behavior affecting the family participation. And then finally, four, limited opportunity for activity. Um, each one of these, uh, we're going to unpack them a little bit. We, we want to keep this uh, to be a quick, uh, quick podcast, but each one of them deserves a little attention. Um, mm -hmm. so let's talk about safety outside of the home and then, you know, we're not going to talk about so much, you know, we'll talk later about inclusive fitness and, and how we address each one of these, but Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about safety outside of the home and sort of the things that you've experienced, um, in, 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 in working with families who have maybe people on the spectrum for what, almost 20 years now? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, it, it, it actually reminds me of a story that you told me, I, I think last week, and I'll keep it pretty general, but um, there was there was a question about, well, why have this individual's program at Inclusive Fitness? Why not, you know, hire a, you know, some personal trainer to, right. to, to provide the services at, you know, at another like general uh, gym? Mm -hmm. And it's another thing where someone would look at that and say, I don't think that's going to work very well but you know safety comes down to both the individual and and the community around them and the unfortunate reality is that most um gyms and, and fitness facilities are not equipped with the appropriate safety measures for a lot of the neuroadaptive uh, athletes that we serve particularly those who are uh likely to elope or or those who may be even overwhelmed by stimuli yeah. and then engage in some type of maladaptive or, or, mm -hmm. or self-injurious behavior, something like that. So the environment, and this is something that we talk about a lot with, with respect to the, the way that inclusive fitness is designed, the environment plays a big role. The people are going to play a tremendous role um, in, in the safety measures for that particular individual. And it's perfectly understandable that uh, a parent or family member is wary of bringing a, a particular individual into a situation in which there are not you know clearly defined safety boundaries right. and an understanding that if there is a, an issue that arises or if there are known behavior issues that these are going to be met with you know care and, and empathy and the appropriate response also and that just doesn't exist in in a lot of places i'd say it's gotten better generally in, mm -hmm. in public in terms of awareness, but that doesn't mean that any gym or any fitness facility is just fine and completely inclusive because that's certainly not the case. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. You know, I, I've worked out in multiple gyms across uh, the country uh, over my life and I know you have as well. And we yeah. both know that, and, and by, my, you know, my son being autistic, I know that um, all of those things you talked about are, are significant issues. And by the way, you can't blame those gyms. That's not that's no, not that's not no, who they're targeting, no. right? It it yeah. is it's just it's just not the right environment for a lot of our guys. Um, and I would say what's really important also here, and we'll move on to the the second matter, but is also the, the right people 
right? Uh, you know, knowing what to do, knowing how to interact with people who are neurodivergent, um, and and knowing what to do in certain situations that might arise that could be dangerous, um, and and being trained specifically in how to disengage, how to deescalate, how to how to manage behaviors. Um, when they do arise and they're more likely to happen in those environments and you've got to have people who yeah. are trained and you know most personal trainers just simply don't have that experience or that training and you know again you can't blame them it's just the way it is and so i can understand why parents yeah. list, listed this as their number one issue yeah well it, it, to, to encapsulate that this is not a a finger wagging escapade what we're really <laughs> looking at is you know, it is a lack of appropriate environments, and it speaks to what the research says, where parents um, are, are hesitant because they know that the environment is not necessarily going to be uh, sound for that individual because they know their kids. That's right. Exactly. So so the second one is lack of acceptance. And I think we can touch on this pretty quickly, but uh, thankfully, this is also changing. I certainly know it's happening. Uh, it, we, I've even seen a change over the last uh, 10, 15 years. Um, here in the Boston area where, you know, more people understand and, and can recognize somebody who may be neurodivergent and, and have more empathy and understanding and, and appreciation for that. And uh, yet at the same time, you know, let's face it, um, that's an uneven distribution across the country. There are a lot of places where, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world where um, people who are neurodivergent are still looked at kind of with that little bit of a side eye, a little bit of a scance, like, what, why is that person doing that? And I think, you know, most people have the right intentions, but don't always know how to interact or how to respond to somebody who may, for example, be twirling or jumping and stomping or screaming yeah. um, because that's what they do. Or maybe like Lucas may, sometimes makes big whooping noises in an, in, in, a, in, a, in an environment that allows him to do that. That could be a little unsettling for people. Um, sure. And as a parent, you know, that can that can lead one to uh, sort of maybe withdraw from those environments. As a matter of fact, there's another research report I forgot to mention to you, Eric, um, about the very fact that people uh, who are parents of neurodivergent people tend to self-isolate uh, more than uh, others. And that's not because of shame. It's just that it's, 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 it's difficult sometimes to, to help people understand what's going on. And sometimes it's just, you know, frankly, not worth it. Um, and so yeah. this lack of acceptance is, is, I think it's improving. It's getting better. There's a lot of education happening in the schools or you're seeing, you know, portrayals on, in the media and in commercials of people who are neurodivergent, which is absolutely wonderful, but we're, we're, a, we're a long way from what we would consider acceptance and embracing it. Oh, uh, completely. Also, and I, I think part of that is, you know, cultural in, in a way where, or, or you can take it back to that's kind of a, a human emotional component where we're, we're constantly compare, comparing ourselves to, to, to other people. And we're looking at it and saying, okay, you know, what should an 18 year old be doing? What should a 28 year old be doing? What should a 38 year old right. be doing? Yeah. And having that, you know, naturally, that naturally, that natural inclination to compare coupled with the fact that we have a society that very much says, you know, you should be here, you should have this, you should be doing that. Right. Um, a, a lot of what, what I've heard referred to as, as uh, one, one of the parents in our uh, certification program, you know, being shoulded to, to right. death. <laughs> you should be this. They should be able to do that. They should not yeah. do that. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's an understandable uh, point that was uh, elucidated in this research. Um, the, the third is an interesting one. I think it, it ties perfectly into one and two, which is behaviors affecting family participation. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and although um, it's not a hundred percent clear on what specific behaviors we're talking about there, there I think you know in your and my experience and the experience of my coaches and yours, it's easy to say that you know there are behaviors like some of the ones I just mentioned a minute ago, um, that as we we call them off task behaviors perhaps, um, yeah. that that uh, can can lead to somebody having difficulty participating in in a physical activity at least sure. until they learn how to to do it properly with the right coaching and in the right environment yeah yeah and, yeah. and you know i think it actually ties the, the second and third points together also because we go from this should paradigm to the to the can paradigm mm. and, and it's, mm. it's it's one of it's one of the mantras on the walls at, at inclusive fitness i can do anything right and it's not to say that that you know we're going to go from zero to a hundred in three days it's saying that as long as the expectations are realistic and and held to the standard of that particular individual rather than saying oh they should be able to let's see and this is the whole you know theory and practice behind individual baseline let's see what the, what this athlete can do with reference to a squat let's see what they can do with reference to a push throw because we know that when we are able to to find that current ability level we can build on it and then they are going to be able to achieve new fitness skills that will carry over into their you know health and and into their activities of daily living and into their well-being and, and quality of life. So it's, I think, uh, uh, getting away from the should to really figuring out the can. Right. And the can is going to is going to be related to you know each athlete, and that's where we can set realistic, measurable, and appropriate expectations for each athlete. And that's where you have an environment that is safe. Because we understand as, as coaches and practitioners what that person needs. Safe and also where they feel accepted, right? Mm-hmm. So to point number two. And, you know, we, we almost always see behaviors at the beginning of, of our sessions, our work with, a, with an athlete. Sure. Um, and sometimes they're, they're um, profound. Sometimes they're not. Um, but our job is to be uh, empathetic, patient, uh, coaches who who work with them over time to find out what we, what we can do to help them work through those behaviors to the point where they can learn, and we see it every single time, right? And and so having that right environment, having the right programming, having the right people lined up, right, in a way that allows us to to help work through those behaviors. And sometimes those behaviors, they never stop, but it's a matter of, can we still coach and get a good training effect and get that physical activity despite the behaviors? Um, and maybe, maybe, and sometimes, uh, because of, you know, as a, maybe a reward, yeah. you, you and, can, you can do certain things, things that we work through and there are things that we, we work around. And I think what you've led up to in, in this conversation is a great point to, you know, to, to start exiting on is that, you know, is it worth it? Well, it it is because even though that first session may not, it might produce, you know, some, some remarkable outcomes and, and some things for the athlete that oftentimes parents wouldn't necessarily expect from a first or second session. And, and you and I have both experienced that where 
a mother or father has has said, I didn't know they were able to do that. Right. Yeah. Because we set up the environment, we set up the coaching, and we set up, you know, the, the practice in a way where we figure out pretty quickly what what they're able to do and, and to what level. So, um, you know, cu- coming back to that idea, it, it's it's really a measure of number one, the consistency. So, showing up and 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 really recognizing that fitness is if we consider fitness a life skill and i you know i talk about this ad nauseum Mm. if we look at fitness as a life skill then we have it for life if we're if we have it for life then it is a consistent practice if it's a consistent practice then it can be what what it needs to be which means it's progressive so we start where we start and we build goals based on that particular individual and and their needs so if it's worth it well what are we looking at we're looking at at two things we're looking at skill development and we're also looking at at it being preventative in nature now here's where and and another thing that we started with also the research the research continues to grow there there is not a lack of research for the general population and now um a, a, a a burgeoning amount of research on um, neurodiverse populations on the need for regular fitness programming and the lack thereof. So even though it's important to have all of this evidence, where you know where is the where is the practice? So we could go down the list of preventative. Um, measures and 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 preventative benefits mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that exercise has we know this to we know this to be true and the literature continues to to corroborate this so then the question is you know what do we do and and how do we make it more more accessible and also for for parents who say oh it's not going to work you know my my son or my daughter is not going to participate in, in a fitness program. Maybe it's just never been done in a way where they could participate. Well, and, and that leads to number four, right? Limited opportunity for activity. Yeah. That was the fourth thing that, that, that emerged from this research, which, you know, in, in our, our own research, as we started to think about inclusive fitness, was very apparent. I think uh, we're estimating based on CDC statistics and having spoken with a number of people in the field that there are about 40 million people in America who have an intellectual disability or delay or IDD. Right, forty million. Now that that that's a br- very broad number, and it's a, a broad range of IDDs. Uh, but nevertheless, that is that's that's um, a, a lot of people. Now, if you think about uh, the fact that there are what about three hundred sixty million people in America, I think um, we estimate that there are about uh, uh, one gym for every 8,000 neurotypical people like you and me, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, based on our statistics, we're, uh, we estimate that there are less than one for every 4 million people with IDD, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I think that's probably being generous, to be very honest with you. Um, and so uh, th- not, now that isn't, of course, excluding the fact that there are other opportunities for physical activity. There's there's adaptive PE, uh, there's Special Olympics, there are other types of activities in communities. And of course, there's what people do at home, right? 
but the fact is that there are very few and I mean vanishingly small opportunities for high quality, consistent, strength-based exercise that gets the kind of results that we're aiming to get. And by the way, that you and I as neurotypical people want to see in our own training, right? Mm -hmm. Because you and I both know that participating in sports can be fun and it can be rewarding and it can have some health benefits, absolutely. But it's not going to necessarily create the training effect that's going to lead to that lifetime of healthy living that can be sustained until the end of your your days. It's just not, right? And so I, I, what I'm getting at is that there's an enormous gap here. And this research is, 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 is illustrating that right here. Um, and then you combine the fact that there's the safety issues, lack of acceptance, and behavioral issues that might get in the way. And then you have this enormous gap. It's no wonder that we're finding that there's a massive number of people who are neurodivergent who are not getting exercise. I was, I, before I, I stop talking, and I know I'm talking a lot, there's this really interesting other research report, which I'll, I'll, I'll uh, leave a link to. Um, uh, it's entitled Physical Activity and Screen Time Among Youth with Autism. And it was uh, done in 2021. Um, so very, very recent. Basically, they're saying that by the year, uh, at the age of nine, uh, most people with IDD are much less active than their neurotypical peers and are spending a lot more time on their screens. Um, and we already know that, the, that neurotypical kids are already spending more time on their screens than you and I did growing up, right? Yeah. Now I, here's, here's, it's here's funny. I, I've never met yeah. a parent or family member uh, it, out, outside of my own practice, or if they're working with, a, um, you know, one of our certified pros or I, I've never in 20 years met a parent who says, yeah, my, my son or daughter is a lot more active now. No, we all know. We all know. Than they were at like six or seven. Well, here and here and here's the thing that even is more shocking, and we'll, we'll need to move on. But by the time this this, re, this research I was just referring to said, by the time that most people with IDDs turn to the age of eighteen, most are getting almost no quality, consistent physical exercise. Right, mm-hmm. and 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 by the way, if they're not doing it, then when they're living at home, for example with people who really care about them and, and are looking for ways to improve the quality of their lives because they know what it means, it's not going to happen later. Um, and it, they're just most likely going to maintain or decline um, because of that that foundation of non-physical activity. And this is staggering to me because we all know what it means in terms of preventable diseases and conditions, right? Uh, obesity, diabetes, arteriosclerosis, arthritis, and, and you've done some interesting stuff. You know, you learned about, you know, preventable disease. I'm sorry, preventable accidents, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. There are so many things that come from being physically strong, physically active uh, on a regular basis. And our guys are just not getting it for all those reasons we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And this isn't to be like fear mongering, but let's face it. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. And that's why we're here is to wake people up and transform the way people think about not only what needs to happen, but what's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 un- unfortunately, you know, regardless of whether or not we talk about it, um, and, and not, you know, in the in the fear-mongering sense, but that's the reality too. And there is research on the increased risk of, of lifestyle related 
um, medical complications and diseases for the neuroadaptive population mm -hmm. as well. This, this is a reality, and regardless of whether or not we want to touch on the subject or elaborate on the subject, it, it's still happening. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen regardless of whether or not we open our mouths uh, about it. Exactly. And we can either continue to allow it to, to happen and just say, well, it would be nice if, but the whole reason for the existence of you know, of my work and the existence of inclusive fitness is both you and I, um, you know, convened uh, on the idea that no, it's not okay. It's really not okay that this, that that this is the current pathway. Like it needs to be disrupted. Right. That, that's exactly right. And we have about five minutes left. So I, I want to, of course, we never stick to our, our original timeline. No, ever. <laughs> the, most, the most consistent thing about us is that we're going to talk over time. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but I, I think this is, this is where we, you know, flip to, and the, the question was, is this worth it? Because, you know, I get it. It is hard. Right, you know, getting up in the morning or getting dressed and 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 getting our athletes in the car, motivated, ready to go, even out of the car and and walking into the center, that's hard work. Uh, I, I told you that story that we had somebody uh, who was coming in for the first time yesterday, and she really was resistant, didn't want to come in. Um, Dad really worked very hard. It took them fifteen minutes to get across the parking lot. Yeah, that's the first time. Now we see that with a lot of our athletes, but then after a few sessions, they're running in and they're ready to go. But that first bit is tough, and I get it. But at the same time, is it worth it? Well, yeah, because there's this enormous gap that we just talked about, and there's all these preventable conditions and diseases that quality, consistent exercise can positively affect. But what I what I'm super excited about is the fact that we here at Inclusive Fitness have started to track the data and mm -hmm. also gather anecdotal evidence to suggest that it is worth it. You know, I, I think you saw recently, Eric, that uh, our, our, our most recent data set showed that um, over a 10 session time period, you know, like once a week when people are coming in, uh, we're seeing a 50% increase in the resistance that our athletes are able to, to use in their programs. That means they're getting stronger. They're getting more stable. Their biomechanics are getting better. And you and I have talked about the impact of this on activities of daily living, our ADLs, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so the fact is that this is positively affecting uh, the physical well-being of our athletes. And we know that training effect has a long-term impact uh, both here in the gym, but more importantly, out in the real world. You know, we hear people mm -hmm. saying, yeah, you know, my daughter is able to go up and down stairs like she never could before. Uh, my son is actually proactively grabbing the groceries and bringing it in to the, to the house because he knows how to do it. And he has that strength now. Uh, mm -hmm. We recently had, because COVID is finally opening up and, and athletes are finally going into, our patients are going in to see their, their doctors now, we've had recently um, a number of parents say, we just got done with our physical. And the physician said, what are you doing? Because it's great. Mm -hmm. Keep doing it. And they say, well, we're going to inclusive fitness because they're getting stronger. Their body composition is improved. And not to mention that, but the psychological uh, positive impact is also just is, is amazing. You can see our athletes becoming more confident, more comfortable in their bodies. It's really thrilling to see that impact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that, that question, is it worth it? You know, r rushing out the door at 3.30 after a full day of school sucks. <laughs> getting, getting, <laughs> yeah. get, getting an individual's shoes on sometimes sucks. Getting an individual to get their shoes on sometimes sucks. You know, pulling, yeah. going out in traffic, 
all these things, I would definitely, you know, fall fall into the category of, you know, some somewhere on the, you know, one to five scale of of suckage. But, <laughs> but when you get to the when you get to a moment like, oh, they're you know they're independent with groceries, or they're walking up and down the stairs better, or they initiated some type of of activity themselves, or you get a report from a physician that says, I, you know, whatever you're doing, keeping it up. I think the cost benefit ratio in that situation is certainly in the favor of continuing on with that because the the benefits are not only clear from the perspective of the coach and the family, but there are other people who who whose you know who, whose opinions and whose expertise are valuable saying, yeah, there's something different and there's something better. Absolutely. And I, I think you you nailed it. That's a nice way of wrapping this up because we're out of time, but you know, the question is, is it worth it? it, it emphatically, yes. There's this huge gap. There's these big challenges. But there's also a growing body of evidence that is, is critically important, and it works. But we get it. It's hard. And and so it's, we don't take it lightly. Uh, when, when we see a parent roll up uh, with an athlete or an athlete come in, uh, if they catch the bus or a ride or a taxi, it's like, yeah, I know that wasn't easy, but you did it. And it will be worth it in the long run. So answer is yes. It isn't easy, but boy, it, it will pay off the long run. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the, that, that's the collaborative effort, you know, between families and coaches. Too. It's like you you get them here, and and, <laughs> and we'll and, take it from and, there, and we'll take it. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the agreement. That is, and that's what we try to do here, and we're hoping to do it for more and more people as we grow. So, well, Eric, as always, great talking with you. Uh, I think this is an incredibly important topic, and I hope people also agree that it is worth it. Um, hope they'll learn more. Uh, feel free to reach out to us if you'd like to learn more. Thank you, Eric, for your time today. And thank everyone for all of you guys out there for listening. And um, please let us know if you have other topics you'd like us to cover up. Or I should say cover. <laughs> all right. Not cover up. <laughs> all right. Uncover. Yes, exactly. Uncover. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. This is Absolutely. Raising the Bar. And we look forward to speaking to you next time. Yep. Bye-bye.